every step you take, you get closer to your destination. If you're on the right track, that's great news. But if you're going the wrong direction, even if you don't know it, you're getting farther and farther away. So how in the world do you know which way to go? On a hiking trail, you follow a blaze, a small mark painted on a tree or a rock. It's proof that someone has literally blazed the trail ahead of you. Your journey is different because you're not headed somewhere, you're headed to someone. You're headed toward who you will become and no one's ever been there before. Are you headed there on purpose? What kind of you are you headed toward? The most important thing on your journey toward the you God created you to be isn't what you see ahead of you, it's what you carry with you. What you believe about God, sin, Jesus, forgiveness, salvation, life, and eternity will greatly impact the you you become. And let's face it, sometimes we don't know what to believe about those things. You've been told some things, maybe you've picked up some teaching along the way, and you've probably discovered some things yourself. And who knows, maybe you've changed your mind about what you believe about a few of those things, or maybe you don't even think about them much. I believe what you and I need most on our journey is found in this book. Now, you may not be aware of it, but in the Bible is a story of God that spans all the way from the beginning to the very end. And the reason that's important is because I think in God's story, you'll find your story. In this book, the Bible is your base camp. You'll find all the supplies you need to journey toward the you God made you to be. And what we find together might surprise you. And I hope it inspires you because I think that the world needs who God made you to be. Do you feel close to God all the time? Or is there Time, are there times that you sometimes feel distant from God? What about this? Do you ever feel bad about doing something wrong even if nobody else knows you did it? What's that about? And who decided it was wrong in the first place? And how does your heart that's about to beat out of your chest know it's wrong? You ever thought about that? Have you ever looked at this crazy world that we live in and seen the brokenness and seen just kind of the way things are and you thought, how did it get this way? How did the world end up like this? Is this, this world we're living in, is this what God wanted? Is this God's will? Was this God's plan? And of course, the bigger question that we're all asking ourselves is, where do I fit in this world? Where's my place in it? And maybe you have asked yourself, where's my place in this book? What do these stories from thousands of years ago have to do with my life today in 2020? Well, today we're beginning this four-week journey through the Bible, and um, I'm so glad you're here to be a part of it. If we haven't had a chance to meet, my name's Carter, and I'm the lead pastor here, and uh, really grateful to share with you 
this story of God. And what I think that we'll find is that in this book isn't just a book. It's a, it's a story of God in which I believe you'll find your story. In fact, I believe in this book is where you find your true purpose and your reason for being, your reason for existence. And that's why I hope that you will take uh, the base camp study that we're going through together and uh, the resources that we're providing them. We've got a, a free download that you can, to, you can go through and study. Uh, you can join one of the groups that Ben talked about because I want you to get the most you can out of these next four weeks to find your story in God's story. We're calling this base camp because sometimes faith sort of feels like a tall mountain to climb. I mean, it, it feels up there and out there, doesn't it? Like, will I ever get there? Will I ever arrive? And maybe you even view people a little farther in the journey and think, how could I ever get there? And base camp and in hiking or mountain climbing is the place where you get the supplies and the tools you need to make the journey. So that's what we hope this will do. We hope that this will help make some of that story of God make sense for you in your story. Some of you are new, and I'm so grateful that you're here. You came because you wanted to check out a church. Uh, maybe a friend invited you because we're starting this series. Uh, maybe you heard that our kids' ministry is open, and after the last six months, you'll hit your kids to anyone for an hour. I don't know what it was, right? But you came, and I'm so grateful. You might be curious about God. You might be unsure. You might be tuning in because someone uh, told you that, uh, that we were starting this series today and you're curious. You're not sure what you believe. I hope that we can clarify some things for you today. Others of you have been a Christian for a long time or you've been in church for a long time and you've always kind of considered yourself a church person, but maybe you sort of lost your way on the journey. And what I hope these four weeks will be is a chance to recalibrate understanding the story of God in the midst of your very own story. And there's no better place to start than the beginning. In chapter 1 of the book, chapter 1 of Genesis tells a story of God creating the heavens and the earth. And the story ends with the pinnacle of creation. God makes humans made in his own image. You and I were made in God's image. But Genesis 2 gives a different little look into God and humanity. And Genesis 2 makes something very clear, that you and I were made for relationship. And you probably feel this. You know this. We crave this. We need relationship with friends. We need relationships with family. Uh, you seek out relationships in spouse. We seek out relationships in dating. We have even digital relationships now, which seem more important now than ever before. It was so cool yesterday as college football sort of, kind of, almost, maybe started. <clears throat> and uh, I, I was texting friends that I haven't seen in years because their team was playing and I was watching their game and I was cheering for them or, and just... It, just friends I haven't seen in years. We had a digital relationship, but I, we crave those connections. We need relationships. But what you may not know is this, that God wants a relationship with humans. God wants a relationship with humanity. God wants a relationship with you. You may have thought of God as kind of out there, 
this kind of like up there or this really mysterious force, but God wants a relationship with humans and God wants a relationship with you. And in Genesis 2, it tells a story of God's relationship between the first man and the first woman who we will come to know as Adam and Eve. And in the beginning, their relationship is great. They're in this garden called Eden. And in Eden, it's wonderful. It's much different than the world you and I live in. In fact, the, the distinction between heaven and earth it isn't quite the way we understand things now. Like we kind of understand, we would say God is in heaven and we live on earth. But in Eden, heaven met earth. That feeling that you feel and that I feel that when I ask you to sometimes God feel distant to you, that wasn't the way it was in Eden. They were fully in the presence of God. Can you imagine that? That you never ever felt distant from God? This relationship was so close, so personal, so intimate. Even the way they viewed themselves and viewed each other was different. Adam and Eve, Genesis 2 says, were naked and they felt no shame. Can you even wrap your mind around that? Feeling no shame. Things were different in Eden. God was in a relationship. We were in a perfect relationship with God. But there's something that's really critical that's got to be a part of every relationship, and you know this to be true in your relationships, and this is true in our relationship with God. A relationship has to have trust. It is the binding agent. It is the bond. It is the glue that holds together every relationship. You cannot have a relationship without trust. And when trust is broken, that relationship gets broken. So if there is going to be trust, there's also got to be freedom to break that trust. If there's not freedom to break the trust or to win the trust, it's not really much of a relationship, is it? This is why relationships are tricky. This is why relationships are risky. We learned this in middle school. You can get hurt in relationships. You can be disappointed in relationships. You can get your heart broken in relationships. Of course, you can also be loved. You can be cherished. You can be surprised in a good way. But the whole key to relationships, the whole part of it, is that there's got to be this trust and we have the freedom. This is the miracle of marriage in my life that so far I keep getting up in the mornings and Emily's clothes are still in the closet. Right? So far she hasn't gotten up in the middle of the night and left because the whole point of trust and freedom in true relationships and true love isn't that you have to be there, it's that you choose to be. So if this God, who is this incredible, all-powerful being in the universe, wants a relationship with us, then we have to have the freedom to whether we trust him or not. And he has to trust us with that freedom to obey him, to believe in him, or not. This is how Genesis 2 tells the story. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east, in Eden. And there he put the man he had formed. This is Adam. 
The Lord God made all kinds of trees. So there are all kinds of trees in the garden. <clears throat> Grow out of the ground. Trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Now, so there are two very special trees. There's all kinds of trees, remember? All kinds of trees that grow out of the ground, but there's two very special trees in the middle of the garden. The tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Now, they're pretty self-explanatory, right? The tree of life is this tree that you eat from and you live forever. But it's so much more than just about immortality. In the tree of life is the presence of God. With the tree of life is the, the source of life. True communion with the creator God. With the tree of knowledge of good and evil, it's pretty self-explanatory. In this tree, you eat from this and you understand the difference between right and wrong, between good and evil. And this is interesting because Adam and Eve don't know this yet. They live in this perfectly ordered world, in this perfect relationship, fully in the presence of God, with no shame, no sin. And a lot of people think they know what comes next in the story. But you might be surprised at what the Bible actually says. Listen to what it says. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden. Okay, hold on a second. God, can I eat from those trees over there? Yeah, you're free. Yes, yes, Adam, you're free to eat from any tree in the garden. What about those way on the other side of the garden over there? Those look pretty yummy. Am I free to the, yes, Adam, you're free to eat from, the, from any tree in the garden. What about these right here? Can I eat from these? Yes, you're free to eat from any tree in the garden. Can I eat from the tree of life, God? Are you sure about that? Yes, Adam, you're free to eat from any tree in the garden. Can, you eat, can I eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil? Yes, you're free to eat from any tree in the garden. You know why? Because, say it with me, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden. You didn't mean it. Come on, come on, come on. You are free to eat from any tree in the garden. You are free. Free. Do you know it said that? And then God says this. But you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. Adam, <clears throat> Adam, listen, Adam. You are free to eat from any tree of the garden. But you mustn't, you shouldn't eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. You can, Adam. Adam, I trust you with the freedom. I trust you with your choice. If you and I are going to have a relationship, Adam, you, this, there's, this is the glue that holds our relationship together, Adam. You can eat from it, but I wouldn't if I were you. And I know, listen, Adam, I know this seems overbearing. I know you don't understand. I know it doesn't make any sense to you. But, Adam, here's what I want to tell you. I want you to trust me. I want you, Adam, to trust that my way is more, better than your way. I want you to trust that 
I know some things that you don't know. I'm trusting you, and I want you to trust me. That, that Eden, that world, that's God's will. A world with no sin and no shame, a world that with no disorder, humans fully in the presence of God with direct access to the true source of life, a world where we're not ashamed of anything, a world where everything is right, a world where we don't even know that there is such a thing as evil. This world that you and I live in, it's a mess. This was not his plan. Eden, that was, that was the plan. Th this world we live in, he's working on it. More on that in just a minute. But in that perfectly ordered world, here's what you need to know. In that Eden, with these trees, with this incredible choice that they had, God did not create puppets. And God did not create robots. He created a man and a woman with a choice. Because if they were going to have a relationship, then they had to have the freedom to choose whether they were going to love God or not, whether they were going to obey God or see what the world would look like if they disobeyed. You see, God's hope is that in spite of our freedom, we'd still choose to love him. I mean, you learned this in middle school when you got your first crush. They don't have to like you, but you sure hope they do because that's a relationship. God's hope is that in spite of our freedom that we would still choose to love him. And I want you to know that you have the same choices that Adam and Eve had, <clears throat> that you are free and you can choose to trust him or not. You can choose to believe him or not. You can choose to obey him or not. You can choose to listen to that still small voice when you are trying to decide between doing the right thing or the wrong thing. You heard that voice before? Of course, there's often another voice, isn't there? A much more sinister one. Because very early in the book, very early in God's story, we learn that there's another force in the universe, an enemy. And Satan in the story with Adam and Eve takes the form of a serpent. And listen to what the serpent says. The serpent said to the woman, <clears throat> did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Now, hold on, hold on, hold on. What did God say? You're free to eat from any tree in the garden. Boy, you see how the enemy wants to take what God says and twist it? And twist it? Did God tell you you couldn't even eat from No, no, no. And the woman, she's confused already. She's like, her response was, well, you know, God, God said even if we touch the tree of knowledge of good and evil, we'll die. And listen to how the enemy responds. You will not certainly die. The serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. 
And I'll bet you have heard that voice because I know I have heard that voice. God doesn't want what's best for you. God's promises aren't reliable. God's too overbearing. God just doesn't want you to have fun. God just doesn't want you to have a good time. God just doesn't want you to be in control because he knows you're better at it than he is. You can be your own God. You can be in control. Nobody tells you what you can or can't do. Nobody backs baby into a corner. You know that. You heard that voice before? He just doesn't want me to have fun. Why can't I do this? Well, you might know the story or you might be kind of new to the story, but it looks really good. <laughs> and they take one, they pick it, and they eat it. And immediately they feel something that's a real surprise. Shame. In fact, they, they look at each other and they go, it doesn't say, I'm pretty sure they go, you're naked. It says their eyes were opened and they realized that they were naked. They are ashamed and they, they, they pitifully try to sew fig leaves together to cover themselves up. This is Genesis 3. We are Two chapters removed from God creating humans in his image and now the two humans aren't so sure. Now they feel shame. Now they, they feel regret. They feel remorse. And they try to hide from God. And this is, you remember I told you that I think you'll find your story in here because I, I certainly find my story in here. Because I'll bet you've done some things that you're ashamed of. I have. And I'll bet you've done some things and had some times in your life and your journey that you tried to hide from God. I have. And maybe for some of you, that's why you haven't been to church in a long time as you were trying to hide from God. Maybe some of those of you watching at home, maybe you're trying to hide from God. And, but here's what I know. You can tune in every Sunday and you can sit in a seat every Sunday and still be trying to hide from God. Just kind of playing a game, a church game. A lot of folks miss this in the story. This makes God very angry. Because a holy God and unholy sin can't sit in the same room and can't live in the same garden. And God gets Adam and Eve and he tells them life is going to be way more difficult than you could have ever imagined now and we are living in that way more difficult world. And God curses the serpent, which is the way we're most like God because when we see a serpent, we curse too. So, and then... God banishes them from the garden and he puts a barrier up between them and the source of life. And now they are not fully in his presence anymore and they are not fully connected to God anymore. And now it's clouded, it's veiled and sin kind of separates them from God. 
And that's the world that you and I live in, that sometimes we feel like us and God, there's something separating us, or us and the presence of God, and we can't quite get there, or us and the source of life, and we can't quite feel it, and we're stuck in this world where we have the knowledge of good and evil, and we know there's right and wrong, and we don't know how to fix it and make it right. This is the world we live in. This is the mess that we live in and that we see every single day, this barrier. And you've experienced that in relationships when someone breaks that trust with you, it puts a barrier between us and God or us and another person. And now this world, it's a mess. And you know what? I can read this story it's so easy to blame Adam and Eve, isn't it? Like, why'd you guys mess it up? <clears throat> Except I've got some sin that brought shame too. And I'll bet you do. Except I've made some decisions that have put a barrier between me and God, and I'll bet you have too. Except that I've had some times in my life where the choices I made put me distant from God, and I'll bet you've got some times too. And we all know too well a world ruled by death and chaos instead of life and order. The world you see now is not the way it's supposed to be and not the way that it will be. This world is the result of the broken trust between humans and God. And this book tells the story of how God is working to restore it. But it's a mess, and there's a lot of work to do. Now, you would think that God would be done with humanity after that fiasco. I mean, come on. It wasn't 10 commandments, it was one, right? Some of you parents, you know that, like, I ask you not to do one thing. You ever said that, parents? Right? We all get it on us. It's in our blood as humans. You would think God would just say, one thing. But instead of, instead of being done with us on this side of Eden, God shows his character and keeps his promise. He said that sin would bring death, and it did, but he made the first sacrifice. He looked at their leaves and just chuckled and was like, good try, guys. And look at what it says. Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. God made an innocent sacrifice to cover their shame. Ooh, even though they didn't deserve it, even though they, they didn't do what he hoped. You see, God's hope is that in spite of our freedom, we'd still choose to love him. But God's grace is that in spite of our faults, he still chooses to love us. And this is unbelievable. We are literally in chapter three, thousands of years before Jesus is ever on the scene. And this 
first display of God's grace foreshadows God's greatest display of God's grace. Except that time, it won't just be an innocent sacrifice of an animal. It will be the innocent sacrifice of his one and only son to cover the shame of all the people. The story is already being written. But to get from Genesis to Jesus, God's got to have a new plan. And the new plan was to work through a people. You see, in the garden, God had chosen a place. But on the other side of Eden, God chose a people. And the story he began to weave to be a blessing to all people was to work through a man named Abram who we would come to be known as Abraham. Nine chapters later in Genesis 12, after the world has just gone into chaos, after the world has turned in this mess that you and I are living in right now, God takes this man, Abram, and he gives him this promise. He says, Abram, I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you and I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. Now this is quite a promise to a 75-year-old man with no children. This is what God says. I'm going to do something through you. I'm going to create a nation through you, Abraham. And this is what he says. He said, I will bless those who bless you. And whoever curses you, I will curse, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Abraham, I'm going to do something through you never believe. I know you and your wife, Sarah, don't even have children, but I want to tell you, you're not just going to have children. You're going to have children who have children who have children and grandchildren and grandchildren. I'm going to create a nation through you, Abraham. And it's going to be called the people of Israel. And through this nation, I'm going to raise up a blessing that will come through the Jews that will bless all people. And I want to tell you something, church. I want to tell you something. You listening at home? You here? Abraham could not have imagined right then what God was about to do through him. Abraham could not have imagined he could not have imagined that 2,000 years later and 42 generations later that one of his descendants named Joseph and his sweet wife Mary would go to a cattle stall in Bethlehem and have a little baby boy named Jesus that would be proclaimed through the angels to be good news of great joy for all people. He could not have imagined that. He could not have imagined that that baby would be the promise of the fulfillment given to Abraham and Sarah, that he would be the Jewish Messiah. And he couldn't have imagined that that Jewish Messiah would grow up and be crucified and resurrect from the dead three days later and tell his disciples, you've got one mission. Go and make disciples of all nations because this blessing is for all people and baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and to obey my teachings. And they, Abraham could not have imagined that that Messiah and that message would reach a Jewish Pharisee named Paul 
who would take on the life mission to reach all the people that were not even Jewish and that he would write to the Roman church that anyone who was not Jewish, who came to faith in Jesus Christ, who confessed their sin and believed in his death and resurrection would be considered sons and daughters adopted into Abraham and Sarah's family and engrafted branches into the nation of Israel and to the Jewish people. He could not have imagined that the movement that Paul started 2,000 later, years later would be the world we live in where 2.5 billion people call themselves followers of that Jesus. He could not have imagined. But that is exactly what God meant when he took Abraham out and he said, Abraham, I want you to look up at the sky and count the stars. If indeed you can count them. And then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. Listen, I'll tell you something. You've done some things you're ashamed of. You've got some regret. You've wondered if there's a barrier between you and God, if you can get back into his good graces. I'll tell you something, that night, that God took Abraham out to count the stars. He was counting you. He was counting you. Because God's plan has always been for you to be a part of the family. And I know what you're thinking. Carl, you don't know what, I made some bad choices. You don't know what I've done. You don't know the mistakes I've made. You know, it's way worse than Adam and Eve. I've hurt people. I have betrayed people. I have abandoned God. Carter, you don't know what I was like in my 20s. You don't know. Here's what I want you to know. The choices we make in our relationship with God, they have some consequences. But God turning his back on us isn't one of them. He didn't turn his back on you. He didn't turn his back on Adam and Eve. He just devised a new plan to create a people, to create a person who would be the one and only, the savior of the world. And I want you to know that no matter what you've done or no matter your mistakes or no matter your past or no matter what barrier you think is between you and God that 4,000 years ago in that desert, God was counting you in the stars. And the message that he would give you will be the same message that he gave to Adam and Eve standing there in that garden. And the same message he gave to Abraham standing there in that desert. I want you to trust me. Will you trust me? With your hurt, with your hurt. Will you trust me with your heartache? Will you trust me with your past? And will you trust me with your brokenness? Will you trust me? That even though you've suffered some consequences in this life, I haven't turned my back on you. And it might feel like there's a barrier between you and me. 
but I have always wanted you back in the family, in the presence of the God who created the heavens and the earth. Heavenly Father, it's hard for us to believe, but we just say thank you. Because Lord, we've made some mistakes. We've got some, some stuff, some junk in our lives. And um, we just want to hand it to you now. Every person in this room, God, we've got a past that is as <laughs> sordid and shady as Adam and Eve's. We've all put up our own barrier between you and us. Lord, thank you that you are a God that reaches through the barrier to write a new story for us where we can not just be counted in the stars, but counted as sons and daughters of Father Abraham and Mother Sarah chosen by you to start this new family through Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray for every person in this room that they would trust you. In Jesus' name.